Welcome to the Wonder Women of Aviation podcast. I'm Sharon Capels McDougall, former space worker with the Crew Escape Equipment Department, the beautiful orange spacesuit all the astronauts wore, and I'm an Air Force veteran. And as you can see, I'm an author. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you for being on the Wonder Woman of Aviation, Sharon. I know we were talking briefly before. It's been like so difficult to track you down. You are just out of this world, (laughs) literally. (laughs) Hopefully it keeps going that way. I've seen, you know, and I was, you know, telling you earlier that I've been kind of following your journey ever since we met, which I'm surprised I didn't find you earlier, but we we met last year in Houston at the Wings Over Houston Air Show. And, you know, my husband is into the space program. He's into space in general, and he's been kind of teaching me about that. So like we have been Mm -hmm. in love with what you do, what you are, what you stand for. So I want to tell our viewers a little bit about who is Sharon McDougall. Um, you know, there's so much, there's so many layers to who and what you are. And we were saying, you know, you're, you're a woman, you're in the industry. So let's talk about Sharon. (laughs) I usually say like, if you were to describe yourself in an adjective. Ooh, exciting. Ooh, I love it. I'm exciting. Yes. (laughs) I bring that energy. You do. You (laughs) energy and that bright orange shirt which goes hand in hand with what you did um Mm -hmm. back in the day so a little bit about yourself you were in the space shuttle crew escape yes crew (laughs) escape equipment department yes that's a tongue twister i know it's a lot we just call it cwe for crew escape equipment oh okay cool so whenever you see cee that's what it is so what exactly does that um, entail? Like, what is, what is? That is exactly what it says. The crew that they use, if they needed to escape from the rocket, from the space shuttle, from the orbiter. So I'll be, I might call it orbiter. So I'm talking about space shuttle because that's what we called it was. So they use it in case they have a loss of cabin pressure while they're, you know, inside at the space shuttle. Automatically sense a change in cabin pressure and keep them, it would inflate and keep them safe inside until they got to a low enough altitude if they needed to bail out but they would still be safe if they lost cabin pressure. The other reason they wear it is if, in case they have a bailout scenario, they have to bail out from the space shuttle. They would land in water, hypothermia, right? And then the orange color so they can be seen easily, even though they'll have a one-person life raft, which is orange and yellow as well, and all kind of beacons and flashers and strobe lights and all kind of signal equipment. But, you know, the beacons are going to go off if they bailed out, and the helicopter probably be there like that anyway, so... Oh, but I'm- it's for it's for it's for it's in case of an emergency. And my job actually started after the Challenger accident because they weren't they had stopped wearing pressure suits. Not that it will save a crew member if the rocket explodes. I know it's all with Columbia, but it's just another layer of safety in case they do come and have an emergency type situation. Which you know it totally makes sense because uh, you know my husband's an airshow pilot. You, you're well aware of that. Um, yes. that flight suit is a big component of that element and Mm -hmm. your job in itself is like you truly are you know that extra safeguard for those that go into space which is pretty amazing and I was like getting prepped for this interview I'm like I you know from down from the color to the different components in the actual suit yes the pressurization I'm just like yes yes and and people look at it like it's a costume but it's not it's actually life-sustaining equipment right you know their lives can depend on this suit working properly so we have to test, test, and retest over and over. And the astronauts don't have just their own suit. 
they'll have that suit on one day and the next day another astronaut may be wearing it you know it's not just for that one astronaut so that's why you have to be able to be able to size it adjust the arms the legs the waist and things like that they come in a regular size a small medium large extra large but then you have adjustments well you said you read the book but so it has adjustments in the arms and the waist and the legs so some uh, astronaut might have a little shorter arms or little shorter legs, so we'd adjust it to fit that person as good as possible. And it's not made to form fit by no means. It looks kind of baggy when they have it on. You know, it's not okay. um, like like the one I wear. <laughs> I like the one my husband wears. Like it's, yeah, it's not like that one. <laughs> Form-fitting. <Yeah. laughs> Which is amazing, because I was just, like I said, I was, I was reading into it. I'm like, holy cow. And one thing I didn't know, and I wanted to ask you personally, is the hyperbaric chamber portion of it, too. So yes, that's when I was in the Air Force. Okay. You know, my my Air Force specialty codes called AFSC. My job was to work with the hyperbaric and hyperbaric chambers. But by being stationed at Bill Air Force Base, where the SR-71 and U-2s were located, that was an extra duty to work with the pressure suits, the aerospace physiology side of it. Okay. So I went to school, uh, tech school, after I got out of boot camp. And I went in right after I graduated high school. So no college degree or anything. I did all of this without a college degree. Just good old training and hard work. Right. And um, the chambers, we learned the chambers first. We didn't learn about the suits until we got to our base. And that's when you got on the job training. That's why I always tell people nobody, you know, anybody can be trained. If they're trainable and got a little sense, you can be trained to be a spacesuit technician. You know, it's not like you're coming coming out the womb being a spacesuit technician. And where, where, where else are you going to get experience, right? Right. On the Besides job. the military or next. Yeah. I mean, it's a very unique, specific field that not exactly aware of. So I want to take it back because you said you were in the Air Force. So, yes, you know, this is a field that did you always want to be in the Air Force? Like, how did that come about? It's a great story. <laughs> Glad you asked. So I uh, I come from a family. I was number nine of 12 children and I lost both my parents at a very young age. By the time I was in the second grade, I had lost both my parents. So I had to live with my sister and her family. And, you know, so things were different. I didn't have my mom to cuddle me. And I was like, I had to grow up overnight type of situation. So I made it to high school and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't have money to go to college. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Sergeant Bud Rooker, my knight in shining armor, came and spoke to our senior class. I think it was around October, November, because mm -hmm. I hadn't turned 18 yet. And he told us about the Air Force and my eyes just got big. And he was like, oh, we'll pay for your schooling and we'll, you can travel the world. You'll have a great job. It just made it sound like a fairy tale. I was like, I raised my hand in class that day, girl. I mean, in the auditorium, I was like, I want to sign up right now. He's like, you can't find <laughs> You got to wait. I'm ready to leave. I'm from a small town. I love my hometown, Moss Point, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. But I knew there was more out there for me and I need to go live life and see what's, what's going on. I right. couldn't stay there my whole life. No, it's, it wasn't enough opportunities there, you know? Right. And so, uh, well, my 18th birthday that February, I just had a birthday, February 23rd, I went down to the recruiting office and I uh, enlisted into the Air Force. I took the test and, you know, did all that and got a really good scores on the test, so which, which is what afforded me to get such a great job because mm -hmm. they use that test to decide where they're going to place you. Ah, okay. And so that's how it, I, it was never any moment where I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to graduate so I can go in the Air Force. I've always wanted to do this. It was just the opportunity came along at the right time. Right. And I jumped on it. Had no idea what aerospace physiology was, mind you, when they said that's going to be your job. I was just like, I don't care. I'm ready to go. I'll <laughs> learn whatever it is. Let's go. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever it entails. Yeah, like. I'm going. I'm in, I'm in there. I'm all in. And that's what I love about you. you you've you been a go-getter. You know, it doesn't seem like you let anything stand in your way, which is no, inspiration. No, 
And, you know, that's something that I definitely want to educate, you know, our people that are listening, like Mm -hmm. they find themselves kind of at at a loss, you know, there's, there's different options out there. And and one thing that I think you did, you don't have to be a pilot to get into these, to the air force or into these careers. There's so many opportunities out there. Exactly. It's so many behind the scene jobs. I mean, mind you, our job was kind of upfront because we were always with the crew members, the pilots and the astronauts. We were always right there, but we were still hidden in plain sight. People still didn't pay attention to us. It's like all they saw was the astronaut. So nobody ever asked who was the other person <laughs> in the picture, you know. So that's okay, but that's okay. I mean, because we were doing our job, we weren't there to be trying to get any kind of spotlight or anything. We were doing our jobs, getting the picture. That's great. And sometimes I will finagle my way in a picture, you know. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> and and you had some amazing pictures. I think one of the pictures that yes. uh, with. Dr. May Jemison. Yes, yes, girl. You know that was the highlight of the career. One of the one of the highlights because I had a lot of great times. But that definitely, and it was so wonderful because I I decided to get out the Air Force after two terms, so I served seven years. Okay. And when I got out, I struggled. I str- I couldn't find a job because all I've done my whole adult life was be in the Air Force, right. and you weren't truly an adult, you know, because you're living on base for free. You're eating in the chow hall. You know, you go to work. It's not that far. Only thing I was paying for is my car. That's the only thing I was paying for. Right. We had cable and everything. And, you know, so you hadn't really been an adult. And you don't realize that until you leave and go live in the real world. Yeah, I've, we've done <laughs> some. We've got all these bills. And so I, I, didn't have, I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't find a job. Nobody would hire me. And I thought, I am awesome. I worked with the SR-71 pilots. <laughs> They're going to be lined up to hire me. Not they wouldn't even hire you full time because they didn't want to give you benefits. So I had three part-time jobs at the age of 26. I worked uh, in a department store. I think it was called Wine Stocks, putting price tags on clothes, like in the basement somewhere. So it felt like child slave labor. <laughs> Compared to the answer. I did that. Yeah, but but they'll give you like four to six hours. They wouldn't give you eight hours. They didn't want to hire you full time. Then, uh, then I worked Office Depot stocking shelves for about four hours. And then at night, I would clean an office building. Oh. And I didn't have my own place. So I had to sleep on my friend's Lisa's. I had to sleep on her futon. Thank goodness she lived in the area. So she allowed me to stay with her. And I gave her a little bit of what, whenever I got, you know, I didn't have any benefits or anything. And I'm used to just being fancy free in the Air Force, you know. Hey, yeah, yeah. And so I, I was thinking about going back in. Right at the six month part, at, at the six uh, month point, when my friend, one of my friends, Ray Villalobos, who was already out here in Houston working with the space program, girl, I thank him to this day. He tracked me down because this is before Google and Facebook and, uh, you know, it was just phone books. He <laughs> remembered my roommate's name from the Air Force because I didn't have my own phone or nothing. We didn't have, you know, cell phones weren't back then. Yeah. He called, found her name, called, and I just happened to be home at her place. Wow. And says, Sharon, they have an immediate opening doing the exact same thing we did in the Air Force. Wow. And that girl, nothing but angels all yeah. around me. And so he had already prepped them. And there was several other guys already there that was from my same unit in the Air Force. And I, he said, just call this number and talk to the supervisor. So I called thinking it's going to be a, like an interview. They're going to fly me out and do an interview and all this. It was just like a cursory, like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Come out when you're ready. Wow. It was just that easy. Because my friend, and that's why I tell kids, you know, you never know who's going to be that one to be your sponsor. Because that's exactly what he was. He sponsored me. Right. You know what I'm saying? He could have called anybody else that was in the Air Force in our unit. 
that has separated and offered them that job. But he remembered me and my work ethic. And of course, we were friends and we traveled some while he was there. Right. And we worked in the uh, O2, it's called the O2 unit, the oxygen unit, where we worked mm -hmm. on the components and stuff. So we, but his last uh, couple of years there, we had got kind of close. But he saw what a hard worker I was and how good I was at what I did. Right. So you're not going to bring nobody that sucks to your job, right? So yes. <laughs> so that's another reason. Great. So I hit the floor running when I got there. So I got here in 1990 and um, started going. And then 1991, Dr. Mae Jemison gets to her mission, STS-47. It was meant to be. Wow. It's like they waited for me to get here before they assigned her. And that's one thing and I she thinking. went up in 1992. So I got assigned to her, wow. helped train and work with her all the way up until launch. And I was there when she landed to, to get her off of the orbiter too. So I was with her the whole time, you know, so we both got to make history. It was awesome. And that mission also had uh, the first Japanese on the space shuttle and it had the first married couple as well as the first black woman. So it had a lot of, yeah, it had a lot of the uh, different things going on, a lot of firsts. And that's what I love. That's why I wanted to reach out for, you know, not only black history month, but women's history, mm -hmm. like, there's mm -hmm. more that you were a pioneer yeah. in the industry. I mean, one thing I learned that you were one of the first first black crew escape equipment <laughs> tech. Period. Okay, first period. Black. I thought I wasn't yeah. sure if it was a male. Like. Yeah, but more came later. Okay. But no other black women though. So I was the only black woman the whole time. And how serendipitous to have both of you be working together. That was just like again, the stars were aligned. I I made I when I heard that the first black woman was going up, I was like, I'm 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 gonna be on that flight. Even though I had only been there a year when she got assigned. So easily, if I just think if you would have called me like six months later, I wouldn't have been there long enough to be assigned to the mission. Right. So it just, I mean, that was just all like I said, all the stars aligned. It was just perfect. That right. I was there. And you know, I was already I already knew the stuff. I just had to get get used to the way they did it here in the civilian world. That was the only difference. It was the same everything, components, the suit, it was all I could do it blindfolded. That is <laughs> I mean, it sounds like what you did in the Air Force obviously prepared you for your- The role. same thing, most definitely. I got all that great training in the Air Force and it set me up for success. That so is, I could just step right into that position. That is amazing. I was like, is it that easy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I'm saying, if you got, like I said, if you got a little comprehension, a basic comprehension level, could turn a screwdriver, I could train you to work on that suit. That is I took I took several people. I mean, a young a young kid that was I think he was 18 had only worked on his uh, work with his father fixing like lawnmowers and stuff. Hey. He turned out to be a great suit tech, brought him right on in there. And that's what I tell managers too. don't just go by the HR mess where they got the little keywords right. and all this. Look at those people's resumes, bring them in, talk to them face to face. You miss out on so many good people playing that little HR game, you know, and hey. letting them just be the one to pick because the keywords didn't pop out. Right. Miss out on so many. I mean, I would have been a prime example if they were just passed over me, you know. So I'm just like, just give people a chance. Give people a chance. If you get in a position where you can hire people and bring people in, do that. And I made it so much more diverse when I became manager. I did. I made sure I went and hired Latina and Black people because it was basically when I got there, it was all white, except for my friend who he was originally from uh, Peru. Okay. So he, yeah, he, if it wasn't for him, I'd probably still be out in California struggling, to be honest. I don't know why it didn't even click for me to check with the space program. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It, did, it, did, it didn't even click. I don't, I, I, and I'm sure eventually it probably would have. Right. And I heard that they actually went out and recruited people, but I was on temporary duty, I guess, when they did it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there when they came out. Or I definitely would have looked at it, you know? So yeah, it just, it just, huh. That's interesting. And you did mention, and that's one thing that I, I like to advocate, you know, being a female in aviation myself, like, and that's yes. why 
podcast is to inform, you know, not only girls, but women in aviation that there's yeah. so girls. And you mentioned a sponsor. And that's one thing that I yeah. learned late in my career. Like having a sponsor is very important to at least open up yes. the have someone to exactly. Ask. Um, I, I never knew that. And I'm telling everyone, get a sponsor, get a sponsor. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, it, it, and it's not, it's not even a formal thing. Like, like get yeah. a sponsor. It's like somebody that's speaking up to you when you're not in that room. Right. They believe in you and know that you're good at what you do. And they're going to put your name in that room when you're not there. Exactly. And make sure you hear about opportunities, you know, invite you to events where it might be something that's helpful to you. That's a sponsor. Right. You know? so, yeah. I just don't want people to try to formalize it too much, right. where they feel right. like they got to fill out right. a form to be a sponsor or something. Right. Actually, it's somebody that's gonna help you. Right. Reach out and be like, hey, can you help exactly. me? And that's what I've been doing in my own career, like goals. Yeah. And, you know, it's never too late in the game. I'm kind of in the later part of my career, but that's something that I, yeah. I always tell people, you know, especially girls coming into the industry, young women coming into the aviation industry, like, well, I, I don't want to be a pilot. Well, there's so many other opportunities, just so many. Someone to actually show you the ropes, kind of speak on your behalf, which I, yeah. I think is great. And that's why I love doing this podcast because I meet so many women. And I'm like, there's yeah, so that's crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. And another thing I learned once I got here is the way they the space program titles different things may not match exactly what it is. When I first started, the job listed in the rec requisition, like online for you to put in for it, it said electromechanical technician. Who would have thought that's a soup tech? <laughs> I then I'm saying I wouldn't even read it anymore. So that's why I tell people make sure you read it. Because there might be something in there that fits you. Don't have to be everything. Just put in. You never know. They might be that person like me that'll give you a chance. Just because you put in for it. So just put in for stuff. I was put, girl, when I read that, I'm like, what's it like? I thought it was an electrician or something. Electromechanical. They's like, that's what a, that's what your title is. I'm like, electromechanical technician? Wow. You're not doing nothing. <laughs> that is, well, I mean, that kind of, you know, gets me thinking, like, was there ever a moment in your career? Because, you know, you were working with these big bad ass planes like <laughs> never girl i walked in there my first day 18 <laughs> years old right out of tech school boot camp and walking out like i own the place and that was my that was just that was just my spirit my attitude you know and everybody kind of gravitates towards that they're like okay she knows she she ain't scared she a little bit of thing because you know i was about 100 pounds wet then and at 18 <laughs> Like oh, it's scared. I found out later that some of the guys were a little scared. Okay. <laughs> it was like, oh my goodness, she just a lot. Right, <laughs> but it's like you're exuding that confidence, and I think that exactly. Like, I didn't know, didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't even looked at a suit yet. That <laughs> I came in there like, yeah, let's get. Who's training me? <laughs> and I think that's one thing that I'm actually learning it. You know, as well as I talk to more and more women, like the main thing is like, you know. They didn't think that they could do this. I mean, and I hear this from like, I interview a lot of air show yeah. female pilots. They're like, you know, women, we didn't think we could fly. It's like, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. And that's well, like, because things were kept from women so long, you know, that's why. So they feel like all I, all I can do is just, you know, be having babies and, and right. cooking for my husband. But no, it's just so much. I mean, even in our, like I say, most, it's so many, and there's so many jobs that don't require a college degree. Like right. I said, soup tech is the main one of the main ones that people and I didn't even have never heard of a soup tech. I'm like, what in the world? You know? I didn't know until I met you. I'm like, right? Right. All this stuff like this. They figured the astronauts just magically dive into the soups and strap themselves in and go. Right. <laughs> it's like, no. it's a lot more detailed. And then they also think that we just suit them up for launch and that's it. And we just go home and don't work no more until the next launch. Right. Like it's it's like four or five crews in training at one time. 
And so they train, they start a year prior to launch training and they do approximately like 30 training events where they actually get suited up and take, because they got to get used to this because we're not going to be in space to do it for them, you know? So they're going to have to help each other take the suits off and put them on and then they're moving, they're floating. So you got that aspect <laughs> while you're trying to put it on. You don't think about all these different elements. I was just going to ask, yeah. what are some like facts that the general public does not know? I know you mentioned some of them briefly and me, yeah. I, I, I know about yeah. that. But yeah. like, what are some facts about this suit that you can share about that, you know, would kind of blow our mind like, oh, I didn't think of that. Okay, they have a breathing regulator, which is inside the suit back in the neck area. And it and then once you put the helmet on, it, it goes up through the neck ring. And then the air, the oxygen comes right down. It's a it's called a uh, spray bar right across the top of the inside of the helmet. It's black, so you can't really see. It has a bunch of little holes in it. So the oxygen only comes down right in your face because, you know, that's the only place you breathe. People thinking, oh, oxygen going all through their body. It's like, no, they're right here. Right. They have a neck seal. Right. So that's sealed off because it's the side of their neck and it's kind of stretchy. Uh, I forgot the material, God dog it, but it's kind of like rubbery okay. and it's and it's sealed to their neck. Exhalation valve. So when they exhale, it goes down into the suit. So you don't have carbon monoxide. So now they just got oxygen right up in here. And they also have emergency oxygen bottles. Okay, on the suit, only thing you guys usually see them in is the suit and the boots. Right. And they're waiting and getting in the van, right? So yeah, so the helmet is already bagged up and carried out. It's gonna be on. It's gonna be on the Astro van, that silver van. Huh. It's gonna ride out with them. Their harness assembly and parachute is already out at the orbiter. The harness is lying in the white room, which is the room right before they walk into get inside the orbiter. They stop there. They put on their harness assembly. The harness assembly houses the emergency oxygen bottles, and it has a green apple to pull if you need that. And they got in a bailout situation, and it's about ten minutes of oxygen. It has 16 emergency drinking water packs strapped onto the back of the harness. And they're like little Capri Sun packs. They're little, but it's 16 of them and they're flat. So, you know, and then you have the life preserver unit, which goes around their body. So if they did bail out and hit the water, they would automatically inflate to keep their head up out the water. So think of water wings, you know, this, it, it inflates all around them. And, and so they would do that. And then they have uh, the parachutes lying in the seat when they get, when they get into the orbiter. So they would lie down and, you know, they're lying on their backs for about three hours before they launch, which is why they wear the diaper. Because yeah. once they get strapped in, it's no getting up, running to the restroom. You know, you got your diaper for that. So that's something people probably don't think about that. Oh, they wear a diaper. That's that's why they wear it, because they're in the suit so long before they actually launch. Right. I mean, these mm -hmm. are all things that I'm like, and you, I think you mentioned, you're like, whatever they do, they take it up there with them. <laughs> exactly. They, they're going to take it right with them. And I'm not going to be there to clean it for you. So you're going to wear that stinky suit coming back home. <laughs> wow. I was like, these are, these are fun facts. Like, yeah. what does it take to uh, suit someone up? Like well, About five minutes. It doesn't take long to put the suit on. Yeah. Oh. So it's like leg, leg, arm, arm, pop your head through, stand up, zip. Okay. Let's get the helmet and gloves on and let me test you before you leave here. Okay. And then when they get strapped in, they get tested again to make sure the suit still pressurizes, make sure they didn't bump into anything or a nail or anything sticking out somewhere. So they get tested again. And we do have spare equipment. So okay. if something did happen, you know, we have that just in case. Mm -hmm. You need a technician because it weighs so much, correct? Like the suit by itself really doesn't weigh a lot. It's about probably about 30 pounds. It's the harness and the, when you add the harness and the, uh, the parachute, the parachute is really a lot of the weight. Oh, so yeah. it ends up going about 90 pounds, but they're not walking around and all that stuff, you know. 
the parachute. Yeah. Well, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. my husband has one for when he does aerobatics too. And I was like, I yeah. can't hold this. I'm like, I can't hold this. This is yeah. then it has the one person life right at the bottom of the parachute. So that's adds even more a little extra weight, you know. Wow. These are yeah. all interesting facts, yeah. which and they wear special underwear. On top of it? <laughs> Under the suit. Oh. They put the diaper on first, then they put on their special underwear. And it's long johns. Really? Pat like Patagonia uh, long johns. But it has this real thin tubing sewn all throughout the underwear, the pants and the bottoms. Okay. So this extra super duper 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 cold water runs through this. So it's right against their skin. Because they don't have regular AC like we have in our house. Okay. You know, while they're in the orbiter. So that's how they keep cool. And it gets really cold. So a lot of them only wear the top. They don't even wear the bottoms. The top and bottoms can hook together for people that are really hot. But they do have adjustments where they can make it uh, not so cold. They can turn it off. They can regulate it. Yeah, yeah. You don't even think of the, the external component, like the heat. like. Yeah. And you know, you're in Florida, lying on your back for three hours inside the rocket, girl. The weight loss. Yeah. <laughs> Using the diaper, the cooling, and everything else. <laughs> it sounds very glamorous. Yeah. And we actually had a lot of people, uh, well, man, some of the men had a little mental thing with the diaper. You know, it's like, man, yeah, yeah, and nobody's going to see it. You're in a bulky suit, first of all. Right, right. But just you've been trained your whole life not to go on yourself, you know. Right. So it's kind of hard. So I had some of the guys take the diaper home. I tell them to take it home, put it on and line the bathtub to simulate like you're lying in the rocket and just push. Try to use it. Try to get used to it, you know. And folks with larger bladders, they can put an insert in, kind of like a, a maxi pad type situation. Right. If they had, you know, somebody that has a larger bladder. Some of the, some people I had to tape around the top of the diaper for them, because remember they're lying on their back. So if they use it, it could probably come up and come out. So little things like that, you know. These are things you do not think about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I done braided a mini, mini women's hair form, you know. They kind of tuck it away inside. So when they put their communications cap on, call the Snoopy cap, and then put the helmet on. You don't want to get caught, you know, want, the hair, want your hair getting caught up in all that. Now, when they get in space and take all this stuff off, you know, it takes, what, only eight minutes, approximately eight minutes to get to space. And they take all that equipment off and pack it up until it's time for them to come back home. And they put on their shorts, T-shirts, hair flying around. <laughs> crazy. These are, yeah. I'm fascinated. Like, lately, I've just been enamored with space and just the different components, different stories. And that's what yeah. I the storytelling of what goes on in just the whole space program, which I'm looking yeah. at your book. Speaking of stories, storytelling, yes. <laughs> you you have a children's book, which I absolutely love. It's so cute. It's I love it. With Shay. Yeah, see? I love it. <laughs> and, and, and the one thing that I absolutely loved is, you know, you have a, a shtick that you also do. You have your, you know, your helmet that you have the kids mm -hmm. with. Can you talk a little bit more about Suit Up for Launch with Shay? Of course. Well, I always wanted to write a children's book, but while I was working there, I started thinking it might be too much red tape involved or, you know, they might tell me I can't say this or say that, you know, and so I just kind of put it off to the side. And then, of course, life and you forget about it. And then it came back around again and then COVID hit. Right. Oh. And I had just gone to Detroit and met this amazing young lady named uh, Natasha. Natasha Lee. And she asked me, she's and her company's called Make Your Dreams Come True. She's like, Sharon, what's what's some of your dreams? And I said, wants to write a children's book and also to write my my own biography too. And I forgot what the other thing was I told her. I can always forget the other thing because the book was the big thing for me. But she asked me something else. I just can't remember. Anyway, she connected me with an author already written 14 children's books. 
to kind of mentor me along the way. So anytime I had questions, I could call. Her name is Annette. 14 books, girl. 14. And she has a, uh, a little bear. I can't think of his name. I think it's Kobe. Kobe. It's a little bear thing that you can record. You're like, like a grandma can record reading a book and send it to the kid. And this little blanket bear, koala bear, now you can hear their voice, you know. So it's so cute. Or even like you can have a parent that may be, you know, in prison or something. You know, you can get their voice and send it to the kid or whatever. I mean, any situation where you want to hear somebody's voice that you like, and you know, you're reading the kid. And she also has bed sheets, girl. This girl is amazing. And then Smith, y'all check her out. It's uh, Miss Annie's, Miss Annie's Literary Core, I think is the name of her. Mrs. Annie's Books. But Annette Smith, 14 books. I can't say that enough. That's amazing. I'm writing it down right now. Yeah. Check out, check her out. And then she has sheets. They're called Sheet Tales. So she has a whole book on the kids' bed sheets. Wow. The whole book. Yeah amazing i was like girl awesome yeah but she was she helped me a lot she pointed me in the right direction as far as you know because i self-published yeah. and um so if y'all want the book go to my website you know don't go to amazon because i don't know if anybody knows that's not in the author world but when you order through amazon the author only gets a uh, little pennies off of the book yeah yeah so if you order from my website which is the name my name sharing com, then i can autograph it as well so you just put that information who you want me to sign it to and stuff. But yeah, I always wanted to write a book. And then I loved my job so much, girl. I loved my job. I still do. Like, I still work there. And I used to always go out to schools and community events and take an actual real suit and pressurize, let the kids take pictures with it. And, you know, see, they their pique their interest. Maybe they'll want to work with the space program somewhere. Not necessarily a suit tech, but it may pique their interest to be like, hey, I want to be an engineer or whatever, you know. And so I would always do that because, like I said, I loved, I loved my job, even in the Air Force. I thought that was the best job ever. And then I got to work here, you know. Great. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to leave my legacy. And I think a children's book. And I always read to children. I, I always did volunteer work. And I would dress up in costume. I would actually have my costume first and then pick a book that go with my costume. I love that idea. <laughs> I dress, I love dress up in costume and the little kids' faces, girl, I get all on the floor with them and just have a good time and try to have an activity or something too, you know, to connect with the book. So, and that that's another thing. I'm like, I'm reading everybody else's book. I need to go ahead and write my book. And like I said, COVID made all of us sit down. A lot of us wrote books during COVID. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. So it only took an hour because it's what I did for almost 30 years, you know? You know, I just put it in a mother-daughter conversation. And the thing that took the longest was trying to get it illustrated. Right. So anybody that's writing a book, unless you, if you can illustrate yourself or know somebody that's right there that you can trust, it's hard getting illustrators. I went through, she was my third one, Christy Pimenta, And she did a, I never met her in person, only online. And she lives in Portugal. And she did a fantastic job. I love the illustrations she did for my book. Oh my gosh. I mean, I love them. And I went through two other uh, illustrators before her and they made it like halfway through girl and then they was like oh I'm too busy or whatever I'm like oh my god I ain't gonna never get my book out I know <laughs> I have been through that nobody talks about the yes writing creating process like it's growing pains <laughs> yes now like I said writing no problem I actually actually wrote it on a tablet some paper with an actual pencil I wrote it like that I didn't even type it <laughs> until it was time for me to send it to the uh, young lady to give her an idea of what I needed. You know, I sent her pictures of the real suit and stuff. I didn't want it to be realistic like that, but right. real enough where you could kind of see what's going on, you know. And that's what and I- make it more fun for the kids. You notice I didn't get all technical talking about millimeters of mercury and PSI and 
No, I made it fun. Just like when I used to talk to the kids and I went out to the schools. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's basically a story of just the, you kind of write it for that demographic. Break it down for the kids to understand. But I have many parents that give me feedback like, wow, I know that. That is so, they say they enjoy reading to the kids. <laughs> they, they like it. And usually when I'm doing the readings live, the parents are like, have more questions than the children. They be like, wow, that is pretty cool. I had no idea. I'm like, yeah. What I, talk to I mean, you know, STEM is important as well, but I've been pushing yes. STEAM, um, which is that art exactly. portion of it. And yep. one thing that you do, like what I said, I love is that, that dressing up, like having them get into the costume because that's exactly of self-expression I'm familiar with myself when I do my Wonder Woman of, you know, aviation. yeah, exactly, exactly. So I saw character and we used to have to wear the orange jumpsuit when we suited up the astronauts oh, and then did? it changed and then it changed to another color because they didn't want us to be so close to the colors of the astronaut. But yeah, if you notice in the picture with me, I had on the orange suit, the orange jumpsuit. Yes, yes. So that's what we used to wear. So that the, and it was for the crew members so they can see us easy. They they know who their suit tech was easy in a crowd, you know, because there'd be a bunch of people around. Right. And they're like, oh, that's suit tech. They got on orange, you know. But somebody decided, oh no, they need to wear something else, some other color. So oh, that's what yeah. happened. And so, but Shay, you know, since her character wears the little orange suits, that's why I wear it. And then I bring the little suits with me so the kids can try on the suit and the helmet and they're man. <laughs> amazing what I love you it is advocating for you know steam stem um yes. being a pioneer there's so many like I said you're a woman of many layers yes. <laughs> amazing um and we talked about hidden figures and I you know some people know what hidden figures are but for those yeah. that don't know what a hidden figure is can you explain what it is yes it's somebody that's done the work and they're in the background and a lot of times somebody else is taking credit for my definition of it and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Hidden figures because the movie, when the movie came out in 2017, I had never heard of those women. And I had been working out there for 22 years. Wow. Not a PowerPoint, not a plaque on the wall, nothing. And so I thought it was fictional when I first saw it being advertised. And then they was like, no, that's real women. I'm like, do you, do you know how many people they could have uh, inspired to work with the space program if we would have known? Exactly. You know, because I know it's, it's a cliche, but if you, do, if you see somebody that looks like you're doing it, you'd be like, okay, I could do that too. Yes. But they had these women literally in a basement calling them computers. That is and I know there's plenty others out there, but that is what, and see, I didn't consider myself hidden because I was in pictures and video clips and stuff with the astronauts. So I wasn't considering myself. And then when that movie came out, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I might need to reach out and tell my story. And I reached out to a local, my, my hometown newspaper back in Mississippi. Uh, Tyler Carter was the journalist's name at the time for the Mississippi Press. And he, he, I was like, yeah, go look at the picture. And he Googled it and he looked at the picture. He's like, oh, that's you? Oh my God. In the picture with the- <laughs> You do have an amazing story to tell. <laughs> like, that's you? Story. It just happened to be, you know, social media is here now and it just yeah. grew legs. But that's what inspired me to tell my story. I would still have been sitting here thinking, everybody know what I did? Because I'm in pictures. Right. No. Nobody knew. You know, we live here in Space City. So we're thinking, you know, it's no big deal because that's what we do. You know? yeah, no, there's people outside of Space City that. Really yeah, but you're just thinking everybody knows. I'm in the picture. Look, I'm in the pictures everywhere. Right. No, I, and that's great that you're telling yourself. You have to tell. You kind of have yeah. to, to tell on yourself. You're like, yeah, yeah. yeah you, but and I tell, and I tell girls all the time, don't be afraid to brag. You need to let people know what you know and what you've done, and don't be shrinking yourself down 
because somebody else is scared of your light. Right. Blind them. Blind them. Oh, yeah. Yourself, toot your horn. Do what you got to do. Exactly. Because men don't have no problem doing it. And there's actually a quote from an airshow pilot, Melanie Estes. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm saying her name right, but she's an airshow pilot. And she's like, you know, if the door doesn't open for you, then you climb through that window. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Girl, oh kick it down. You. I was like, and these are the stories that I want to continue to tell. Yeah. And I want to thank you for being on the Wonder Woman Aviation. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for <laughs> wanting to speak to me. I appreciate it. Chasing you down and hunting you down. For <laughs> I'm so glad I met you guys that night. I almost didn't even come to the little get together beforehand. Amazing. I'm and so glad I did. And my husband, I'm telling you, he is just in love. He's like, I love Shay. She's a. And I still didn't get to see his plane before the air show was over either. You're definitely going to see us at an air show. So I'm looking at the questions. So I was asking him, do you have yeah, any questions today? Yeah. Like he sent me a whole thing. Okay, so, let's get. So he's obsessed, like I said, with the SR-71. Um, He's been really- I'll answer what I can because, you know, I didn't actually work on the plane as a mechanic or nothing. So Right. But I'm sure there's some certain facts um about yes. it. So let me, and let me just flip it then. Is there- okay. A, a special story or something that is significant for you or a most memorable mo moment while working on this or with the SR-71 that you can share and I can let my husband yeah. hear. <laughs> well, I was very fortunate to be able to get in and out of that aircraft almost daily for seven years. I mean, I actually, my, my people like say, like he's all fascinated with it. It's so many people like that. Right. And you don't even think about it that way because it was just your job to get inside. I would have to get inside and load the aircraft before I went and suited up the crew member. So I would have to put their survival seat kit, which held, like I said, survival equipment inside of it. And then it had a cushion on top for them to sit on. And then I would have to load their parachute into the aircraft. And so I would go back and suit up the pilots, test them out, and then drive them out to the flight line to the aircraft, walk them up. It's called a how down, this tall ladder with a platform, walk them up that ladder, let them step into the uh, cockpit, and then I would lie down on the platform. And when I have to hook up the spurs, this is something he probably didn't know. They had they wore spurs on their boots, not the cowboy kind, but similar. That's why they would call spurs. Okay. Because they had this ball and cable inside on the floor, one for each foot. Mm -hmm. And you would have to hook those spurs up to that ball and cable. And that was in case they had to bail out. It'll automatically retract their legs back so they don't chop their legs off when they eject out the back. You know, you'd be flailing and stuff. Yeah. So it would lock their legs back, pull their legs back for them. So when they ejected, it didn't get chopped off. Their legs didn't get chopped off. It is interesting. Yeah, we've yeah. been watching documentaries. I'm like, that is a fast airplane. Yes, <laughs> yes. With Mach 3, girl. What did they do? Uh, Coast to coast. I think like an hour and a half or something. Yeah, that's what I was, I was just like. I was. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and then, yeah, all of the leaking. It would take off the KC-135 tanker is what refueled it. It would take off hours before the SR-71 hours because when the sr took off it was like right there so they had to take off hours to get ahead of it because they would have to read once it took off and i actually got to lie down in the back of the 135 with the guy while he was operating the arm to hook into the sr 71 the top of it like a little blowhole at the top <laughs> hook into it to you know how precise you got to be to do that while both aircraft are flying and he's dropping that long pole down in there and refueling the aircraft some videos and like, but so I don't even slow down be able to slow down enough to do it too you know right. crazy <laughs> that is you know the SR pilot in the tent while we were there yes. uh, Terry Pappas yeah so mm -hmm. he did buy Terry Pappas's book um he received it not too long ago he's like I'm taking my book with me so it's like he has been he is just 
enamored. He's always like that. Yeah, it's an easy read too. I read it. I read it real quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, stories that if I had not have gone into the Legends and Heroes tents, I wouldn't. I would have met. I was so happy when y'all walked in. (laughs) (laughs) There are people that we need to like. I I mean, right? And they gave me such great feedback. They were so nice because Terry even said, "Oh, you brought so much joy to the tent because you know something for kids and not just a bunch of old guys sitting around signing their book." that the, the orange the orange suit <laughs> yep yep and here i am hey and i could thank um oh i forgot her name but it's united right here hold on hold on, hold on. i can tell you who they i got the little remember the little poster i got it laying right here yeah, she, little, um, yeah. okay it is this was texting uh, lila holly and ashley booker knight is actually ashley is the one that actually invited me to be a part of it oh. but i was i was uh at the table with both of those ladies Yes, I remember seeing their setup and it was amazing what they were doing too. Um, yeah, and- so I had a ball and that's right up my alley. I love, like I said, even the grownups. Yeah. Get, like, oh, let me put the helmet on. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. I'm going to post that picture on because I have video and audio. So I'm going to put the picture, my husband, Patrick, with the helmet. And then we, yes. started- <laughs> that was, yeah, so- I had, I had such a great time and that for it to be two days also. So I really had fun. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you again this year at Houston. I hope so too. Hopefully um, they invite me back. If not, I'm going to have to find my way to get in there on my own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if people want to book you for, you know, you do yes. a lot of events, is that something yes. that, you know, can they Yes, do? go to my website, SharonCaplesMcDougal.com. It's, the, it's on the title of my, it's at the top of my book. And you can book me for a regular speaking engagement, like, you know, for grownups not reading my book, or you can book me to re- come and read my book to, to somebody, to some kids or a Girl Scout troop or whatever. So you can book me either way or to do both. I've had somebody book me to, I did a, my speaking, you know, keynote. And then I went over in the corner with the kids and I read my book to them and had my little table set up and stuff. So, that is but of course the kids one's more fun, but I will, uh, I actually just did a speaking engagement in November for um, Veterans Day. So that's another way I get booked for veterans events. So I got the veteran thing, the space thing, the black woman thing. Everything. I can get booked for all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Round, which is the base. <laughs> yes, I cover a lot of, lot of, check off a lot of boxes. I love it. Well, I have a fun question before I let you go. Yes. Another question, but this is a fun question. So, space. Um, mm-hmm. if you were picked a special program to go into space, and you had maybe a day, twenty four hours to pack, what would you bring with you, um, into space? Chapstick and eyeliner, <laughs> <laughs> and eye drops, and eye drops. Because I have dry eyes, but I love eyeliner because it make my eyes pop. And I got to have some chapstick. I don't even have to have a lipstick. I got to have chapstick, though. I get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I put chapstick on. So my, I did just feel dry. They just feel dry. <laughs> those are very- those three things for sure. Because somebody asked something similar to that about uh, <laughs> if you were stranded on a desert island, what would you keep or something? Oh. And chapstick going to be one of the number one things. I, the island, I wouldn't care about eyeliner because, you know, you're going to be sweating and stuff. I was going to say, like, <laughs> to put that on. <laughs> Your eye but chapstick, for sure. <laughs> and uh, if I'm on the island, I had, of course, I said a, a lighter or some matches or something. But yeah. just to go to space, girl, put me in my, give me my chapstick and my eyeliner. Let's go. <laughs> eye drops, which are going to be floating around the little drops. I drop. I know you can't do that up there. <laughs> Trying to catch them. Following it around, like how <laughs> they play with their food. That's how I'll be following the eye drops, trying to get it. <laughs> It'd be a game. That'd be yes, so yes. Oh, but I would definitely go if I had the opportunity to. People say, "Would you go?" I was like, "Shoot, yeah, I go." 
So Bezos and uh, Galactic Virgin, dude, all, whoever. Yeah. Former Sue Tech want to go. Her. <laughs> She's the next woman that needs to go to space. Yeah, I've done my time. I need to be able to go. Oh. Go to space. I would love to in a minute. I would too, but I don't mm -hmm. know. For real. Yeah. Now, now any, um, any of Patrick's questions? Um, questions? Yes. Yeah, are there anything pertaining to the suited part? Or? It was very specific to, let's see, I know he's just applying itself. To the SR-71, and these are like why was it called the habu? Why did they call that's a it that's a uh, Japan thing. Habu. It's the it's the snake, the black snake, like the cobra kind of. Oh. Habu. Yeah, and then then they had skunk works, and then they had uh, blackbird. So you had it had several names. Oh, it had several names. Oh, I did mm -hmm. not know that. Okay. Skunk works. I think is from the company that actually made it. Skunk works. I want to say I think that's the company that actually made it. Okay. Called it. Called it had the nickname of Skunk Works. That is but I saw some that had the little skunk painted on the tail of the SR-71. You know how they had two little things sticking up in the back? I saw uh -huh. skunks painting on it, painting on them. Before. Okay. And I know he's probably going to kill me if I don't ask the space question. So I'm trying to think. I know he's he's in love with like the whole concept. So is there any, I guess, story like with NASA that's like you can share that is the most intriguing? I mean, you probably been a lot of situations well i don't know if people realize that when they go to space they actually grow a couple of inches because there's no gravity so they stretch out but as soon as they get back down to gravity <laughs> back to normal one thing I did learn, um we were hanging out with a gal who works at nasa now and she uh -huh. was like when they come back uh -huh. actually they have to be in a specific area because their their bones and everything is so like yeah, they gotta get they, they yeah they need muscle mass and all that has to get back to normal. There's actually a flight dock on board with us while we're I forgot the name of the vehicle, but it elevates up kind of like an accordion and goes up where it can get to the door of the shuttle when they land. Yeah, and we're waiting on that vehicle for them. Sometimes you have to put them in a wheelchair to roll them over to the chair to unsuit them. Sometimes they drape over your shoulders because they're weak. I mean, they've been in space for almost two weeks right. and their bodies are adjusting to coming back down to gravity and stuff. And not being able, I mean, they exercise and stuff, but it's still not the same as when you're in gravity exercising, you know? Right. And you have to exercise. So some people come off really sick, throwing up and blue around the gills and green around the gills. And then some people walk off like it was nothing. Like Mae Jemison. She walked off like she hadn't even been to space, girl. So that's a story. There you go, Mae Jemison. Yeah, didn't park. affect her at all. She walked off that. I'm like, first I was like, where is she? She's one of because I'm waiting for her. Right. And she walked right off, hey, you know, like, hey, just every day. I do this all the time. That's what I do. Right. Wasn't sick at all, didn't throw up nothing. You worked it. And you got the other guy over there. Girl. <laughs> Looking <one>. all pitiful. <laughs> the woman, our species is a little superior, yeah. just <laughs> Oh, I know something he may not know that uh, the liquid cooling garment that I told you about that they wear under their suit with the little tubes and the cold water. Yeah, they yeah. got that idea from the race car drivers. Because the race car drivers wore it, wear it because it gets so hot in their cockpit going 200 and something miles an hour, you know. So, yeah that material because you know one thing that patrick is you know he, he when he's in there and we're performing he's the hot summer it is hot and i've been yeah, i can imagine white suits that have that dry fit component mm -hmm. that's i need to look into yeah. and then in the sr-71 when they flew uh they didn't wear diapers even though that's the same suit oh and that's the other thing the astronauts the nasa got the suit from the air force 
It wasn't, people tend to think it's the other way around because that's NASA. And like, no, the Air Force had the suits first. You can look at some of the older pictures, you'll see kind of a goldish colored suit instead of orange. That was the original pressure suit from the Air Force. That's what the astronauts were wearing at first. And then they went to blue and then they went to orange. Wow. I don't know what genius thought of blue. You laying in the water, just blending right in. <laughs> Orange. So that, and then uh, the way the SR-71, they couldn't, of course, in the U-2, they, they didn't wear a diaper, but they had a urinary collection device, which was like a huge condom. So they'd come walking out the dressing room with their long jaws on this big thing flopping. In <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> and so the guys, the way you fit it, they have to fit it is... Yes. They have to cut it to where it fit the size of them. Right. So, you know, they come out joking, talking about y'all had to cut it all the way down to the base because, you know, it's like, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love these impromptu. Oh, yeah, they walk out. It's just bouncing when they come out. It's just... <laughs> no, no, these are the pilots. These are the pilots. Oh, the astronauts wear a diaper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. So these guys, yeah. And so they would have to hook it up inside the suit, and then it would go out the or, um one of the pockets of the suit and hook up, go down into the aircraft, and it would just whew, when they urinate, it would just be flat now. Just you don't go outside the aircraft. I don't think you have to go in the bathroom. Like so, if, now they ate two food too, so that made I can I don't see how they did that and not have get a torp stomach or something. Right, because it's you're going and so fast. Pilot have a. Yeah, yeah, in the in the U two and the SR and the U two is fine for like eight nine hours, girl. So they don't they really okay. SR fly about two and a half hours and come right back. Right, but the U two they fly all day, and they're right. eating two food. You know, it's like it's like a big toothpaste tube. It's right. like the like baby food kind of, but right. that's what they eat. They had a little hole in their helmet where they can stick this straw that's hooked onto the tube food in there and it right go right to their mouth. And that's the same way with their like Gatorade. They drank a lot of Gatorade. Okay. It stay hydrated, of course. And then, so that it's same thing. It was a bottle and it had a long tube that you stick right through the little hole in the helmet. And that's how they drank and ate while they were flying for that long time. That is crazy. You know, one thing people do ask Patrick too is like, what do you eat? Um, Cause he does a lot of flying in his pits and it's like, you can't really pack anything. And it's like, he, yeah. small snacks, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Bananas. So it's interesting to hear like the different, like, I guess, menu items at certain parts. yeah yeah the two food one of the favorites of course applesauce because applesauce is gonna take like taste like applesauce regardless right, right right and then with the astronauts of course they pick out like meals they come in like a month ahead of time or so and they pick out excuse me food for the whole two weeks are gonna be gone right and one of the favorite things is uh shrimp cocktail because it had the little spicy sauce with it oh yum uh they couldn't take regular salt and pepper because the grain the grains could get into the components and stuff so they take liquefied salt and pepper. They take lots of hot sauce because they lose some of their sense of taste while they're in space. So they use a lot of hot sauce. And also they can't take bread because of the crumb factor. It might get all into the components. They can only take tortillas. So any sandwich or any kind of bread thing they're going to do, they have to use tortillas. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of tortillas in space. <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of tortillas. <laughs> I love it. That is a, a lot of things to choose from. They have a lot of a lot of items to choose from. It's not just you know four right. things. Here you go. You know. Yeah, that's and these are things that I actually learned when I went to the space center too. They were talking yeah. about items and how they stick to the certain components. So for those of you listening, definitely go to the Houston Space Center or yes. even, uh, Cape Canaveral. Space Center Houston is amazing. 
anytime in town and I go and I still find something new to look at. And I've been a bunch of times. <laughs> we had so much fun. We're like, oh my gosh, like we, we could live there if we could, but hopefully we'll be back soon. And hopefully we could visit it with you. That would be so Yeah, much let me know ahead of time. You know, my husband works over at the pool where the astronauts train. And so he can give you guys a tour over there, but you let me know about a week ahead of time. Oh, I'll definitely. If you guys find out you're coming to Houston. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and I'd love to interview your husband if he does. Oh, he's awesome. He worked in the suit lab. He worked on the tools that they hook onto the white suit. He worked in, uh, and then he decided, you know, I'm gonna go be a diver. And so he scuba dives and he actually videotapes them while they're training underwater. Cause you know, that's as close as they can get to weightlessness environment. Right. So while they're training, he records them. And they watch the video later to see what they did, right, wrong, or what, you know. Love it. So, yeah, Training he's got the coolest job. Oh, okay. I'm definitely going to, uh, when we yeah. get online, I'm going to get his info. Yes, so, yes. Amazing, that whole training component, too. Oh, yes. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for being You're on welcome. the of Aviation. This was so much fun. And I'm definitely going to put, you know, your website for people to reach Please out, do. book you, to get your book. Um, there's And to book me. Yes. Book Shay today. <laughs> I love it. Hashtag book Shay today. And there you go. Social media so they can follow you on social media as well, right? Yes. Yes. I'm a share. I'm under my name, Sharon Capels McDougal. I'm under suit up for launch with Shay. I'm on TikTok, Twitter, Insta, all of it. YouTube. <laughs> I'm everywhere. <laughs> and I love those earrings. I have to compliment. You see, DC? Advertisement girl. Make it click. Make oh, it click with Shay. <laughs> I hope you have merch on your website too. So I'm definitely going to check it no, out. No, these, I just bought these for myself. Need to get yeah. <laughs> I do have masks, uh, you know, when COVID was out, but some people still like them and little tumblers, little, uh, oh, that's so cute. On it. and some of the pictures from the book. I love it. Oh yeah. yes. Definitely check it out. And, and I'm advocating putting these earrings on the site. So just, like I need to, I need to find somebody to make them cause the place that made them, they yeah. weren't reasonable enough for me to buy a bunch of them and try to, you know, so I need to find somebody that can make them. Everybody loves them. I wear them every time I'm in an airport. They're like, oh my, they always get people talking. They're like, oh, those are so cute. <laughs> like, that's my book. <laughs> oh, that's a book. Yes, look. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Conversation starter. And then next thing you know, that I sold a book. Exactly. Well, I love it. I love everything you do. Thank you. About you. I'm going to definitely let Patrick know that this conversation was amazing. Hopefully we can. <laughs> <laughs> and he missed it. I know you missed it, babe. You were flying. <laughs> you are working. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you yeah. again. Um, for those of you listening, definitely follow Shay, follow her on social media, and I will definitely put the links. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was amazing. I had a blastastic time. Oh, <laughs>